You are listening to the Willpower Podcast. Welcome to the show. I am Will Holdren, and I talk with some of the most influential CEOs, entrepreneurial leaders, and thought leaders to try and reveal the secrets that has led to their success. I believe that with the right knowledge and mindset, you can do anything you set your mind to. So if you want to learn how to change your life for the better, if you want to learn how millionaires actually became wealthy, or if you want to develop and start your own business from the ground up with the right knowledge to help you, then you are in the right place because this is the Willpower Podcast. Attention, self-employed professionals and business owners. Are rising healthcare costs weighing you down? Well, it's time to make a change. Introducing Impact Healthcare, your path to savings. With us, you can save up to 50% on your monthly healthcare expenses. Our flexible plans are designed to fit your needs, and our usually friendly app puts healthcare in the palm of your hand. Join the thousands who have already made the switch to Impact Healthcare and take control of your healthcare costs today. If you're interested, click the link in the bio of this episode and give yourself a free quote to see for yourself the amazing savings that you can get with Impact Healthcare. Hey. No way that we go is a one-way street. Nothing that we love is a one-day key. And if we gon' do it, we gon' do this now. And if we say we gonna, we gon' hold this down. What is up, everyone? My name is Will Holdren. I am the host of the Will Power Podcast. Today, our special guest is Justin Freistadt. And Justin is an incredible person. He's actually the managing partner of a hedge fund called Kearns Capital. And before that, he actually spent 15 years building up Heartland Foods, which is actually the number one farm-to-table food service on the East Coast. And according to Google, he had recently sold it for about $35 million, which is actually incredible. And on top of that, guys, he has a real estate portfolio that's over 1,500 units in five different states. So it is an absolute honor to have him on here today. So, Justin, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, pleasure to be here. I just want to correct one thing in the intro there. That that $35 million was not what we sold the company for. That was uh, the, the amount of sales I had done personally. The, the okay. sale amount is actually under an NDA, so it's not out there. <laughs> okay, gotcha, gotcha. Nonetheless, still very impressive. Still happy to have you on here. Um, yeah, that being said, man, like, what are you doing replying to college kids DMs on Instagram, jump, jumping on podcasts? What's the man? I'm, I'm just a, uh, I don't know. Like I remember what it was like when I was starting up, you know, so I'll give, um, I kind of have a principle, like anybody who operates, um, with speed and good faith answers quickly. Um, it doesn't matter where you are in this food chain. You're going to get my time. You know, there, there are wealthy people that won't operate um, the way I want to operate and I just won't deal with them. So it's more so principles than, um, you know, where you are in the journey. I love that. I love seeing people, you know, giving back as well, helping other people kind of rise up to where they want to be. Um, so in your story, I know that during college, you kind of jumped into sales at an early age. And so I'm just curious from that experience, what are some of the major things that you've learned just from jumping in sales early and how have you helped uh, taking that with you? Um, further on in your career yeah i think it's if you if you have the the balls to do that to to jump into a sales role um, early when you haven't done anything right you have no skills you you have no track record um i mean that's nothing's going to build your your thick skin faster than that and if you're willing to go through that i don't care who you are it's you're nervous it's it's difficult but the willingness to put yourself in a difficult situation early on is is what I think is going to make it easier for you to do more difficult things as you progress. Absolutely. And you definitely have taken that to the next level because obviously since then you've excelled so much in sales and with your career. Um, so after college, you graduated, you kind of went to sales more. What was your first kind of project or business you kind of went into after uh, college? 
Yeah. So I started direct sales at Heartland Foods. That was, you know, the company that we we took, you know, 15 plus years um, building that company. So I started off actually in college in the warehouse packing orders, wow. um, you know, $7 an hour job back then. And Sweet. I was uh, probably like 18, 19 years old. And then I was uh, delivering the products, driving the trucks. So I kind of grinded that out for several years while I was trying to figure out my life in college. And I saw what the sales guys were making and and eventually during the summer, uh, I decided to take the leap into that sales role. And I just kind of modeled the top guy at the company. I was like, okay, if he's the top guy, I'm going to do everything he does and then add some, some frequency to it. So if he would work six days a week, I'd work seven. If he'd read one book a month, I'd, I'd read two. And I was like, that's how I'm going to accelerate this journey. And I think it's a good principle early on is to not try to do things yourself until you've become um, what someone else is great at, you should just model what someone else has already figured out. And then once you surpass them, that's when you start trying your own things. So um, after I became the the top salesperson in, in the company and then set all the industry records, then I thought it was time, okay, now I'm going to start building teams, duplicate myself. And uh, that natural progression, um, 15 years later, we end up selling that company. Um, it was a family business that I was building with my dad. And, um, you know, I had to earn every step of the way, you know, when you're a lot of people think in a family business, you're going to have advantages, you're going to have um, special treatment, but it's actually the opposite, you know, because of that complex, things are going to be harder on you. So I always had to do more um, to be respected. I always had to perform at a higher level. I always had to um, prove the naysayers wrong. And, and I loved having that chip on my shoulder. And then eventually we, we exit that business. And then you know, I moved into what I've always dreamed of doing, working in the financial space and, you know, now I'm actually, uh, you know, living my dream. Right. Right. I, I, yeah, I mean, I absolutely love that. And so you make it seem so easy to go into direct sales, just model what the top guy is doing in the company. And to me, it's like, man, why isn't everyone just doing what you're doing, right? Just simply copy and paste into your own business, what this guy's already doing, that's already successful. So was it all up for you or there are a lot of ups and downs or, you know, a lot of objections coming your way? Like, how did you handle kind of like the down moments? And, you know, what was that like for you at that such a young age? So many failures, so much pain and suffering. And I think, you know, I brought a ton of my friends into the business, right? Like when I started in sales, uh, my roommate came in with me, a bunch of the, I, I played hockey in college. A couple of the guys on the hockey team came in and through every phase of life, I would bring people in and they would hit those, those tough moments, those, those failures and they would break, right? And that grass is greener thing they, and they move on to something else. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with deciding that something's not the vehicle for you. But the willingness to do something that you hate is is necessary, right? Because you're not going to love anything at all times. So for me, it was just the staying power. No matter how tough things got, I remember I went through a tough period where, and now you can look back and say, okay, that was just bad mindset. It was bad energy. You know, you go on a tough run in sales where I think I pitched no sale at 20 plus appointments in a row. Like embarrassing, right? Yeah. 20, I mean, this is probably doing like two a day. So we're, we're talking 10, 15 days in a row of people saying no to me when usually I'm closing at 50%, every other person saying yes. And in that moment, you know, you want to quit, you, you're showing up expecting another loss. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, because then I would go on runs where I'd sell 30 in a row, right? And then I through that experience, I never was like, I want to quit. Actually, that, that's wrong. I did want to quit all the time. The difference was, is in those moments when I wanted to quit for some reason, I just didn't. So it's okay to be miserable, to want to quit. But as long as you don't, eventually you figure it out. And then I would get on, you know, out, out of those slumps. And I realized that if I, I needed to focus on my mindset, 
to not get too high on the sales runs, not get too low when things were going bad. And just understand that being able to handle the extremes of, of sales and business is what the staying power was all about. And yeah, I just kept riding that out. And, um, you know, when things are going great, I don't get too excited because I know the next downturn is somewhere along the way. And when I'm in a downturn, now I get excited. I'm like, this is this is why I am who I am, because I can deal with this and I don't quit. Yeah, something good's going to come out of it. I love that. You know, I, I learned that as well as never get too high, never get too low. Try to stay evenly in motion, right? So something's good's going to happen. Something bad is always going to happen next as well. Uh, so that's definitely the mindset to have. It's also faith over fear, right? And I love that as well. Like in direct sales, you mentioned how your friends came into it as well and ended up quitting. Like after a month, it'd have been super easy for you to pack up your bags and say, you know what, I'm gonna do the same thing as you. Like, I don't see this working. And most people would quit right there. And that's why they're not where you're at, you know, 15 years later or how much time has passed, right? Because most people don't push through those hard moments and don't get to that next day, that next day. So I, I think it's super inspiring in your story. Fear, because another thing I've learned is the words really matter that come out of your mouth and, and what you think, right? Like when at every level, you're going to have that same, you can call it fear. But what I realized is it's not fear, it's excitement. My mind's labeling it as fear. It's the same emotion, but it's your choice how you're going to deal with that. Like get, like before you go walk out on stage, if you've never spoke before, you probably won't sleep the night before. I remember not being able to eat, being terrified, nervous. I wasn't nervous. I was excited for the new opportunity. So when you, when you have these emotions and these feelings, how you describe them to yourself and what comes out of your mouth is a choice. And you can really train yourself to lean into these feelings and understand that it's excitement, it's fear, it's whatever you want it to be. Yeah, exactly. And it's all mindset. It's mind is so powerful at the end of the day. Um, and so before I go into kind of your other companies, you mentioned how you were literally doing appointments every single day in your direct sales company, which to me is super impressive. So how are you getting these appointments? Were you like just cold calling people or door to door knocking? Or what was that strategy that you used in that? Yeah, so there, there was an evolution. Um, there was never, we were in a tough business because uh, back back when I was doing this, this was before the Instacarts and the, the Blue Aprons and all the, the ship direct delivery. So we were kind of pioneers in the space doing food delivery to the home. It didn't really exist. So nobody nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I want a food delivery service. I, I want to order things in bulk, right? They would go to Costco. They wouldn't search the internet for a delivery service. So we had to create the market. And at certain times, we were really good at that. In 2015, when Facebook ads came out, we crushed it at first. And then it got really difficult to target. It got expensive and that didn't work anymore. So, you know, one thing that that I knew is that at times we were we were good at corporate marketing. At times it wasn't working, but I knew whenever I got a customer, my next sale was from that customer. I had to treat them incredibly, no matter what, wow them to the point that they told their friends. So at some point, along this journey, I didn't need corporate leads. I had a referral every day. I was literally running only referrals. I was making sure every person I met was following me on social media. I was putting out content about food. We had a Facebook group, all of these things that were following up on these people, keeping me front of mind with them, right? So now they feel like they knew me better. If you go to someone's house and spend a couple hours with them and make a sale, and then they never see you again, you never follow up, they forget about you in five minutes, right? So. There's no question that fortune's in the follow-up, but it's not just calling them and saying like, how's the product going for you? No, it's making sure that they become your friend. They're following you on social media. We're, we're creating a human element into this. And then the other piece of it was I was developing relationships and active partnerships. We're selling health and wellness, food delivery to the house. 
So I would go to CrossFit gyms where I could walk in and the owner is always there. You walk into a big corporate gym, it's going to be very hard to get through the gatekeeper. So I was kind of smart with my efforts. And I'm like, I'm going to develop partnerships with chiropractors, gym owners, CrossFit gym owners, and I'm going to go provide a benefit that they can get compensated off of. So all of my business was built off of relationships and referrals. I love that. And then day, it's just, it's just talking to people, right? It's just opening your mouth. Your mouth is open, your business is open. And I love that, you know, which is super cool to see. So obviously you guys were doing so well with Heartland Foods and obviously you're huge into the health industry as well. Why did you guys decide to exit um, that, that industry and start something brand new? Yeah, it's, it was interesting for us. You know, the, the plan, uh, the way things go is usually never the plan. So <laughs> yeah. no plan of selling this company. This was a family business. We were going to keep it in the family. Eventually um, I was going to take it over for my dad. Uh, my sister worked in the business. You know, we, we were um, a total family business, but something called a pandemic happened. And, you know, our business was very difficult. Like I was saying from the marketing side, you know, food has tight margins, very, very difficult business um, to, to remain profitable. So, you know, we were fighting, clawing um, to get to 10 million in, in annual sales. And then a pandemic happens, right? Blew the company up. Everybody overnight was in the market for food delivery. They didn't want to go to the grocery store. They wanted to buy in bulk. So the market forced them into our product. And because we had been in the industry for so long, I kind of understood that that was kind of an artificial bump in business that right. probably was going to be very difficult to sustain. And we were, we were the, you know, we kept hitting that sticking point of, you know, 10 million a year. We just really couldn't break that hump. So when, when the pandemic happened and our margins improved and, and the business kind of optimized private equity companies were interested in buying it. And, you know, that type of private equity company has experience with roll-ups, buying small businesses, putting optimizing the systems and then selling it again. I thought it was a great strategy for them to buy us. And I thought that we would probably never get that opportunity again because the business was so optimized in that moment based off of market conditions. So I thought it was a win-win for the company buying us. I thought it was a great exit point for us. And honestly, I was tired. I was ready to do something new. I'd been grinding that out for 15 years. And you know, the whole time, I'm, I'm taking profits um, from what I was doing in the business. I was more interested in investing in multifamily real estate and being on the, the private placement side of the investment world. I spend most of my day on CNBC instead of, you know, in food. So I, I was ready for it. And um, we just made the decision. It was, it was time to exit and move on. Yeah. And it really seems like it was perfect timing. Just so you're talking about how that artificial bump in the business and someone already reached out to the private equity firm and that's their specialty, right? They bring in new systems, optimize a little bit better for the bigger business and then, you know, make it, make it worth more at the end of the day, which is pretty cool. Um, so I also love how you were investing in, in multifamily real estate. And obviously that's one of the best passive income things that's out there for really anyone to jump into. So when did you first start figuring out the secret of multifamily and when did you start investing in it? Yeah, for years I was, I was reading books. Um, you know, I just, I, there most of the books I would read about investing, I, I, I didn't like, and I would get rid of them and reject the information. Yeah. You know, this whole um, dollar cost average in the S&P 500, you'll end up being a millionaire. If you read The Millionaire Next Door, it's, it's going to teach you how, how to be a, a single millionaire, make like a million over your entire life, and then just struggle in retirement. It's a, it's yeah. a book on basically how most people become a millionaire, which that's yeah. not what I wanted, right? My, my dreams were billionaire level. So I wanted to take in information of, okay, well, how do people become billionaires? It wasn't by dollar cost averaging into the S&P 500, right? So um, on that journey, I realized that there were a couple principles, um, some key books, the, the Lifestyle Investor from Justin Donald, 
the the um, the concept of return of capital, right? So investing in things that return your principal back to you quickly so you can redeploy. And now it's not just the returns of the investment, it's the infinite return of being able to redeploy capital, right? And real estate's a classic example of that. If you do a value add deal, a couple of years in, you build in the valuation through either CapEx and renovations, um, you get the tax benefits of the depreciation, right? So it's all these little things that create an internal rate of return that outsizes other things. And then they do a refinance. I can get my money back, go do another deal. So I was learning that private placement, doing real deals and partnering with excellent operators that are that are very niched and great at, at what they do was probably a better bet than me trying to run my food business and 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 getting away from the main thing, diluting my efforts, and then going and trying um, flipping houses or you know all all the small time thinking that people start with. But there's nothing wrong with that if that if you want that to be your business. But if you get into an active role thinking you're an investor, it's a huge mistake because that's not investing. That's just being in the business. So another that you're yeah. on that early on. Yeah, yeah. It just turns into pretty much another job. Um, I, I love that digging around you were doing too a little bit earlier about how you really can't just invest in your retirement plan 401k and, and expect that to grow to like millions, you know, or a billion dollars at the end of the day, because when you're going to retire at 50, 60, like it's inflation with money. Like it's not going to be worth as much as you really think it is. And I, I don't know, that always struggled with me because in college, I always tell you to do that as well. And then do the match the employer benefits, all that kind of stuff. Like, man, that doesn't really add up. You know, I've seen people that are doing that and it's not really paying off the way that it should be. You know, so I'm I'm glad you brought that up <laughs> from my perspective anyway. Um, so jumping into that, obviously it's a much better return jumping into multifamily real estate. So the hardest part for people is figuring out a way to actually get involved with it and getting started out with it. So let's say for instance, um, scenario, someone just has like $10,000 laying around, like what would you recommend steps one through 10 to get involved in multifamily real estate? Like what should they do actionable steps today? Yeah, so if you have 10 grand to invest, I would say it's it's nowhere near time to invest in multifamily or, okay. or private placement at that point. Um, the, the reality is, is that in the private placement space, most of these investments, you have to be an accredited investor, which means if you're single, you have to have annual income of 200,000. If you're, if you're filing joint married, it's 300,000, or you have to have a million dollar net worth excluding your primary residence. So most people with 10K laying around don't even qualify to get into this stuff. So I would say the first thing you should do, if you have 50,000 or less to deploy, you need to invest it back in yourself. You need to spend it on conferences, masterminds, where you can get around people that are doing big things that can give you access and teach you how to make more money or invest it into your business so you can earn more money. You know, you need to be, you need to be someone that can produce at least a quarter million dollars a year before you even think about investing outside of your main thing. That's just a... A principle I believe in that, you know, investing in yourself and your own business and what the main thing is, is always better than planting these other seeds in the beginning. You know, I, I would rather if you're in sales and you're making 100 grand, spend that money on getting sales training from a world class sales trainer. So you can go from 100 to 300 and then start saving money. And once you have 100K saved, now it's time to go start deploying some of that capital. Wow, that is super interesting because a lot of people, they always tell me and other people as well, you know, you need multiple streams of income right away. But now you're saying that's not the case. Really just focus on one thing, hone in on that one thing until you're making like 250 a year, right? And then kind of expand to other areas. Bare minimum 250. If you're, if you're not making 250, 
it's not time to be an investor. I mean, think about it. Yeah. Let's, so let's say you you make a, a hundred grand, you save 10K a year, you put 10K in a multifamily, then the refinance happens, they give you back, let's say 50% and you just made five grand in three years, you're getting yeah. 6% cash flow off 10 grand. That's going to do nothing to move the needle in your life. Right. But if you take that 10K and you invest it in a mastermind and you meet the next person who gives you a sales job where you can make half a million, how much faster are you going to get in your investing journey if you invest in getting your income up first? That's true. That's true. Invest in you and invest in connections. I love that out of the gate. Um, yeah, man. So that's awesome. Obviously you've grown it tremendously too, to over 1500 units, you know, in five different States. So obviously you're doing big deals, right? I'm assuming like deals that are over hundred units or what was the average deal size that you guys work with multifamily? They, um, it, it could be anywhere from, I mean, I've done some small ones that are 50 units, um, all the way up to 300 plus units. Uh, my my philosophy is not necessarily the amount of units. Um, one one of the investments is a, a portfolio of six apartment complexes. It's um, it's over a thousand units just in this wow. one investment, right? So I'm looking at it in terms of diversification, and this is something um, people don't really think about in the beginning. The the way that you get hurt in any type of investing is being too leveraged or too um, segmented into one thing. You don't want too much of your capital ever in one thing or with yeah. one operator or in one asset class. Right. So I looked at it as like, let's say you had a million to invest and the minimum is a hundred thousand. I'm putting a hundred thousand in 10 deals. Some of them in a class, some of them in B class, some of them in C, some in Texas, some in Florida, some in the Midwest. I want exposure to different markets. When you get concentrated and all in on one thing, that's how you get hurt. Yeah. Then it gets, yeah. Hurts you at the end of the day. Um, again, all good stuff. And, um, you know, I kind of want to jump, jump into the topic a little bit more. So for the young entrepreneurs out there, obviously so much social media is out there. Just like you're talking about, I see so much of this fluff, like the Grant Cardone's that go invest in all the real estate right at the gate, go invest in stocks right at the gate. But like, it's a lot different starting out, right. As a young entrepreneur, so like you're talking about focus on your business, grow your own business and get your foot in the door. Right. But a lot of people struggle with how do I actually get my foot in the door, get myself out there get something going on early for me that can kind of fund my future dreams and future goals that I want to accomplish. So in your own words, like what would you recommend for that person to do in order to get their foot in the door to find these masterminds that you're talking about and really just hone in and stick with one thing early on? Yeah. I mean, the best thing you can do now that we have social media is, you know, reach out to these people that are doing big things and ask them, Hey, are there any events coming up um, that you think would be great for someone like me to go to, right? If someone sends me a DM and this happens, right? Um, and they're like, what should I do? I've got a list of probably 15 events that I'm going to from now to the end of the year, and you can get a ticket and go, right? You're, these things are networked at a very high level. So it's very hard to find them out. But if you're actively seeking, right, you will find them. You just have to ask the right people. And I'm willing to help anybody. Send me a DM. I'll tell you all the events I'm going to. I'll send you a link to get a ticket. But you need to understand that it costs money, right? right. If you're not willing to spend... 2,500, five grand, don't even send the DM because that's what it's going to cost to get in the room, right? But think about it. Everybody else that's in that room spent the money too. That's where you're going to find players. Free events, ROI, not so great. Uh, if you go to like the big arenas and like the huge conferences and you sit in the back of the room, general admission, you might hear some good content from the stage, but it's all stuff you would hear on social media. I would say you want to go to smaller masterminds. We're talking... 50 people or less. That way you can actually get some FaceTime with the speakers, the big players there. And the other people in the room are also players. It costs a little bit more. They're usually around five grand, 10 grand. 
it gets even bigger. There's masterminds that cost $250,000 a year, you know, but you got to play in the space that you can. And I would say in the beginning, you know, the five to 10 grand mastermind space. I mean, that's how I built, um, that's how I built everything with, without spending that money. I would not have any of the connections. I wouldn't even be a hedge fund manager. I would have never met Cody Kearns. That's another thing. When I went to his event, I spent 10 grand on the highest level ticket. It got me an extra day. Of course, you get these great experiences. We're on a hundred foot plus yacht in Miami, but there's only people on the boat. I get to spend all day with players, right? And network and actually build opportunities, build business. And if you're not willing to spend money to get in the room, it's going to hold you back. Yeah. And I think that's such a good point. Honestly, I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions that younger kids have nowadays, right? Because you know, even in my scenario, I'm in college, right? You pay five grand for class each semester in reality, right? And then so many kids are afraid to spend that much money just to get like to meet other people and really go to these, these, these um networking experiences. And like, that's where you find your connection. That's where you find the opportunities. Like, and it's just such a misconception because you don't want to spend like half their net worth, like out of the gate to go to one of these conventions. But at the end of the day, like you got to take that jump, you got to take that risk. And then the, you know, the reward can be pretty great. So it's just, it's back to mindset. You know, it's always just coming back to that personal development. Isn't it interesting? You know, I struggled with this in the beginning. Why, when we have nothing, do we try to protect nothing, right? Yeah. Like if I only have five, 10 grand left, I need to get, I can go all in on something. There's no other choice. Like, what am I, what am I protecting? Right. And then as you get bigger, you'll realize a million dollars isn't a lot of money. Like, why am I trying to, why am I trying to hoard a million dollars? No, I need to deploy it so I can go make five. Right. It's like, it's a different mentality. And then once you get a, to a place where you actually have a good amount of money, that's when you start making more conservative bets with larger amounts of money. But in the beginning, you're going to have to go all in several times. And if you lose it, so what, right? It only needs to work once. You can fail 10 times in a row, lose your whole net worth 10 times. If you can get that done by the time you're 30, you're like light years ahead of most of us. I mean, think, I mean, all the people on social media from David Meltzer to you know, my dad, like guys that are just crazy, awesome entrepreneurs that have lost their net worth several times, they end up on top, you know, later in life with a lot more money than the person who tries to hoard money along the way. Yeah. And it's so interesting that you brought that up because a lot of people on my podcast do the same exact thing you were just talking about. Like, you know, I went bankrupt like one or two times in my life before I found it, you know, and it's just people, I think, just have that scarcity mindset. And it's so hard to overcome that scarcity mindset because all the people around you, are just doing the same exact thing that you're doing. So it's really hard to kind of break that chain of thinking and be that person to spend, you know, five grand, which a lot of times is like car, you know what I mean? It's a car. It's scared to break that chain and just do something weird with your money. For instance, invested in you, invest in personal development, but that's how you kind of break out of that, that chain and start your own thing, which is pretty cool. So, uh, so yeah, so talk to me about Kearns Capital. I mean, why did you decide to, you know, jump into hedge funds at the end of the day? I mean, obviously, lot of benefits to it but what 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 drew you to the hedge fund and what what inspires you with it lots of things so you know i've been pretty obsessed with the investment world i always wanted to work in it you know hedge funds are kind of the wild west of the investment space you know i'm a guy i'm a college dropout i was never going to be an institutional guy right yep. um we, we like having that chip on our shoulder you know we're we're guys that have been had successful businesses and you know have exited companies and we've proven that you know you don't need the fancy degree to be successful and, um, you know, we're partnered with institutional level investments and that's a testament to, you know, how we operate as a fund, but yeah, I, I'm a sales guy, you know, and when you're looking at, um, you know, starting in direct sales door to door, it's a natural progression, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm at that five to $10,000 ticket and then going, exiting that company, 
the next sale is, okay, well, how do I just find a better product? I'm doing the same thing I've always done. It's just something that I love and the stakes are higher, right? Our minimum investment's a hundred grand. Um, sometimes I'm on a 15 minute Zoom meeting and somebody's wiring a million dollars or more after that, right? So this is, this is high stakes, high ticket sales. It's exciting. Right. I love it. We represent some of the best investments in the world. So it's, it's a dream come true. And, and I landed in it through networking, masterminds, spending money on proximity. It would have never happened if I wasn't out there spending a lot of money after I exited that business, trying to find my next business partner, trying to find the next opportunity. Blind faith. I had no clue what was going to happen doing that. But if you're not willing to spend the money to go find out, you never, you're never going to find out. So that's, that's how I ended up here. And we, we launched the fund last year on July 1st. I was the first investor. I put my money up before the fund even launched. That's another principle. You see somebody, you want to do business with them. You think they're, they can help you and accelerate your future. Spend some money with them, right? Demonstrate your ability to execute, right? It's, it's these little things like the people who, this is so common, right? People don't understand how they're destroying their reputation with high level people. If I put up a story on Instagram about a mastermind and you reach out to me and now we're doing calls and conversations and then you hear the price and you go, oh, I'm not in a position. I'll get back to you. Why'd you even reach out? Right. Why'd you even reach out? Because right. now you know you're a pretender and that's not cool, right? I'm only going to take someone's time if I'm serious and capable and able to make the investment. Okay. And that this is a, a, like a high level people language. You know, I'd rather you say, that looks like a great opportunity. I probably can't afford it right now, but someday I'm going to come to that mastermind. And now we're in a conversation. We're building a relationship for the future. It's yeah. all about how you approach these things. That's right. I love that. And, uh, you know, the whole idea of like get a million dollars wired to you after like 15 minutes, it gets, it gets the blood pumping, you know, it gets you, it gets you pretty excited, which is cool. And now I saw online that your strategy is pretty interesting. I know, well, we'll cut off here pretty soon, but I just want to jump into your strategy here real quick. So I know you mentioned how you guys aren't really impacted, like what the Fed does, increasing rates, all that kind of stuff, because you guys are in and out, like pretty much on daily basis. Um, so what's kind of the advantages of doing that kind of strategy? We're just jumping in and out of stuff every day instead of holding stuff, you know, kind of more long term. Yeah, there, there's all different types of, you know, investments um, in hedge funds. So our strategies are always shifting. Um, right now, we're, we're raising for two funds. We have a private equity fund that invests in late stage pre-IPOs, so unicorn companies, Three billion or more in revenue, uh, with with growth and um, going public in the next twelve to twenty four months is the target, right? So we kind of act as a liquidity provider through Innovation X. They get shares off of early VCs or insiders that want to liquidate their shares, and then uh, we hold them through IPO and and then exit. So um, big names, right? We're talking um, Flexport. We just did a deal. We're raising for SpaceX right now. And Innovation X sits on the cap table of these companies. Their, their position with SpaceX is over 500 million, which is actually very small on the cap table. There's, there's billion dollar firms um, that are already in these deals. And that's how we deleverage the risk, right? So private equity is super exciting. That's for somebody who doesn't mind locking up their money for a couple of years until we have the liquidity event. And then our main hedge fund is trading US equities swing trading, right? So sometimes these positions are held for a long time. Sometimes they are in and out. But we have a portfolio manager at Forte Capital Group who manages this fund for us. He has over 100 million actively trading in this uh, strategy alone, right? So you're when you invest with Kearns Capital and you go into our legacy fund, you're not necessarily investing in our track record. You're investing in us deploying it with Forte. They have an 18-year track record annualized out. It beats the S&P 500 
after fees and splits. So that's for the investor who wants liquidity. It's a one-year lock on your principal. You can take quarterly distributions of profits if you would like, or let it compound. That gives you a lot of flexibility, exposure to the US equity markets, but it has a 4% max drawdown built in. So now we're preventing mm -hmm. negative compounding, hedging, right? And then it has an upside target of 30 to 40% um, gross before the fees and splits. So, you know, five to one risk ratio. And um, this is the type of product that the average accredited investor has no shot at getting access to. This is a $12 billion firm that we go fund to fund with. And as far as I know, we're your only access point, unless you've got 10, 20, $100 million to deploy and go to the big boys with, you know, big, big money. Right, right. Well, it sounds like an awesome strategy. Obviously, you guys are crushing it. And uh, I'm actually a finance major, but I don't know why I'm not learning that stuff. You know what I mean? But um, sounds like you guys are crushing it. Uh, but yeah, so before we hop off, actually, I actually have a couple more questions for you. Um, so one, um, if people want to reach out to you and find you, how can they actually go about doing that? Yeah, so we're on all the social medias um, at Justin Freshstat. Kearns.capital is our website. And then my personal website, if you want to schedule a call with me directly, well, you can do that through Kearns.capital as well. But my personal website is toptierhuman.com. Awesome. Awesome. And then uh, before we hop off, is there anything else you'd like to say? You know, I just, um, I will say, you know, we talked a lot about personal development, a lot about getting in the room. Um, beware though, you know, always have your head on a swivel. This is a dirty space. It really is. I've seen, I don't know anybody in these rooms that hasn't been scammed before. Be very, very careful. And whenever you're looking at an opportunity, trust, but verify, you know, if, if you're looking at something, I'm happy to help you send me the deal. I'll tell you what I think. I have made a lot of mistakes along the way. I have lost a lot of money in bad investments and all of those I could have prevented if I knew what I know now. So if, if you're not in this space and you're early on, if it's a multifamily deal, if you're looking at um, anything really, I, I would love for you to run it by me so that I can, I can help you prevent making catastrophic mistake um, along your investment journey. We have to lean on other people who have been there and those people who have been through these things, they want to help people earlier in the game because there's nothing worse than learning painful lessons that you could have prevented. Yeah, that's awesome. I, we all appreciate that. Um, all right, guys, there you have it. Justin Frischstadt, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Yeah. No way that we go is a one-way street. Nothing that we owe.